Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, helping government leverage AI. Take uh, Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. It was really important for aid organizations and FEMA to have a map to be able to figure out how to best distribute aid or where damage is, things like this. Inkytel is generally thought of as a strategic investor for the intelligence community. Well, actually, Inkytel has really expanded its engagement with innovation in a lot of different directions, and it's a strong presence in many emerging technology areas. One example of this that I'm particularly interested in, we're gonna talk about today with Nick Weir, who is joining me to talk about his work as a data scientist at Cosmic Works. That's an Inkytel lab dedicated to helping government not-for-profits in the commercial sector leverage AI and commuter vision in unique ways. Nick is a challenge manager for SpaceNet. So we're going to talk about SpaceNet and the opportunities it presents to develop new technologies and also how it can be a template for more innovation activities by the federal government. Well, Nick, I put you on the spot, but what is SpaceNet? So SpaceNet is a uh, nonprofit partnership, single member led uh, LLC, led by uh, Cosmic Works, which, as you mentioned, is a lab at InQtel. And we're a partnership along with Maxar Technologies, Amazon Web Services, and the Intel AI Lab. And our main effort is to produce data sets of overhead imagery, which includes both the images and then labels for mapping purposes, things like building footprints or road networks. And then we provide these data sets for free, totally openly, to uh, the machine learning computer vision community and we encourage them to try to develop models that can identify the features that we've labeled. And we do this through these challenges that we run with TopCoder called the SpaceNet Challenges. And why is that relevant? Well, it remains a very open question how well algorithms, computer vision, machine learning, AI, whatever you want to call it, can do things like identify building footprints and images, extract a road network from an image. And that's really important because it's really important to try to accelerate mapping. A lot of the time people, will, if they think about mapping, just think of something like Google Maps, where right. in the United States, you can just pull out your phone and get a map and get the best route to pretty much wherever you want. But in a lot of the developing world, this isn't the case. And then if there's a sudden change to the environment, this isn't necessarily the case. Particularly, take uh, Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, where it was really important for aid organizations and FEMA to have a map to be able to figure out how to best distribute aid or where damage is, things like this. Now, it took over 5,000 volunteer mappers over two months to produce this new map of Puerto Rico. And that's not a knock on those the mappers by any means. It was a huge effort. They had to remap almost a million buildings and something like 30,000 kilometers of roads. Hmm. And so if we can accelerate that process so that we can get to a new map faster after something like a natural disaster hits or in an underserved area where there's less commercial benefit to manually creating a map, then it would be fantastic uh, to be able to do that with computer vision. And I, I assume this also has enormous national security implications, battlefield management, trying to identify a threat situation as well. Sure, absolutely. Anything that can be done to accelerate uh, response to changing conditions. Now, what I find interesting and I want to talk about now is, is SpaceNet is a model of what people describe as uh, crowdsourcing, you know, getting the wisdom of large numbers of people working on a, a problem, which is very atypical from the way we ordinarily approach 
government R&D. How is, is SpaceNet actually used in crowdsourcing here? Sure. So I get, I'll talk a little bit more about just how SpaceNet's structured. Uh, so uh, what we do is we generate these data sets where we get imagery from our partners at Maxar, uh, and they also uh, provide manually made labels, drawing actual boundaries around all the buildings or tracing all the road networks. Um, and then we release these data sets using Amazon Web Services, uh, freely available to pretty much anyone in the world. Mm -hmm. And so what we do for crowdsourcing with TopCoder is we run these coding challenges there where we will provide a good chunk of this imagery and a bunch of the labels to uh, competitors and say, develop the best algorithm that you can to identify, say we're doing building footprints, to identify building footprints um, from these images. And then uh, they will use that algorithm to predict on some imagery that they've never seen before. And then we score how well their algorithms worked. And so we get usually between 50 and 250 competitors participating in these challenges. And everyone is trying different algorithms to try to solve this problem. Everyone has their own machine learning solution to try to find buildings. And uh, this allows us to figure out which solution works best. So let me ask you this. What's in it for these these small teams and entrepreneurs? Why take the time? They don't all get money, right? No, not all of them do. We give out prize money to the top few competitors, but not to the vast majority of them. So is it bragging rights? Or um, in, to some degree. Yeah. It's uh, – yeah, it's it's bragging rights. There there are some people who we know do this pretty much for their profession, um, but the majority of these people are maybe students trying to develop these skills themselves. And this is something that some people uh, can list on their CVs having participated in these competitions. So from the government's perspective, is this talent discovery or is this a way to find new vendors? You know, in a way, it's almost neither. Hmm. Um, what what we can do with these challenges, so at the end of the challenge, after the competitors have completed their algorithms, we get the code for the best solutions. And then our small research team, which has far fewer people in it than this crowdsource community, uh, can then dig through the best solutions and figure out what worked well, what didn't, et cetera. So this is almost a way for us to explore the enormous array of methods that are out there for analyzing um, imagery that we couldn't do alone. We only have four researchers on our team. Hmm. Um, and for example, I was just at the biggest computer vision conference in the world last week, and there were 1,300 papers in that conference. There's no way we can keep up with all of that, uh, no matter how hard we try. I love this. Uh, it seems like a really interesting model. I look forward to hearing about your continued success. And I suspect we're going to see a lot more of this. Nick Weir, Challenge Manager for SpaceNet, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, Jonathan. And now, non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. Did you know that a recent ADP study revealed that up to 40% of our workforce is actively looking for a new job and up to 75% are at least quote, open to an overture? I don't even know what that means. Wow, that's a big chunk of our workforce that will be considering new opportunities. And with historically low unemployment rates, that also means that many of these new jobs will be upwardly mobile moves for leadership and executive positions where it's likely that you'll be seeing your very first employment agreement. So what are the key elements of a formal employment agreement? Well, 
Whether you're listening today as an employer or a future executive, it's critical to understand the key sections of this document. First, of course, is your base salary and increases to base pay. Will those be based on market comparables? Will they be based on company standards? Will they be based on your historical pay features? You need to get a handle on that before going in. Second, bonus and incentive payments. Will they be based on key metrics or other types of performance? And whose performance are they based on? You, your teams, your divisions, the company overall, the overall marketplace? You need to get a handle on how you're going to be measured, especially if a large portion of your payment every year will be based on these incentive payments. Third is equity. Everyone wants to participate in the IPO of the next big unicorn, and there's a lot of ways to be rewarded for company growth or a public offering or even an exit through mergers and acquisitions. There's straight-up equity, there's option plans, and there's even equity equivalents. What are the details of these plans? How will vesting schedules work? What are the conditions to earning these rights? All need to be articulated in the employment agreement. Remember, some companies are looking at equity equivalent plans, things like stock appreciation rights and phantom plans have become quite popular. Next, the ever important perks, perquisites. There's the traditional perks like vacation and expense accounts and business development budgets and car and transportation costs. But there's also some new perks that have been emerging in the areas like living costs, relocation costs, co-working space, commuting costs, education and training costs, child care, parental care, flex time, schedules, working from home, access to mentoring and coaching and career mapping. If you want some of these perquisites to be part of your employment agreement, just ask. Many companies are evolving the benefits that they're using to recruit and retain young executives. Next, what will your performance of duties be? What will constitute a breach of those duties? Will you have opportunities to cure? Will you be given opportunities to improve your performance through things like a performance improvement plan? And last, of course, if the time comes that it's you're ready to leave, what will the conditions of termination be? Will there be severance? Will there be outplacement options? All of these issues are addressed in a well-drafted employment agreement. So as you climb up the corporate ladder, be sure to know the details of each rung and what it will take to advance to the next level. Great people are in high demand, and employment agreement terms are getting to be way more competitive than ever before and more dynamic heading into 2020. Good luck out there. That was your non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. Thank you to the Greater Washington Board of Trade. Greater Washington Board of Trade represents leading businesses, nonprofit organizations, and academic institutions, and has helped shape the development of our region for over 130 years. Visit boardoftrade.org to learn how a Board of Trade membership can help your organization succeed in this rapidly changing marketplace. Thanks to Auric, an international law firm that focuses on technology, energy, and infrastructure finance. Clients worldwide call on it for forward-looking commercial advice on transactions, litigation, and compliance. Learn more at auric.com. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich, music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time.